You may have heard the story about the fellow that uh, went in this place. He sat down and put his drink up on the table. And a big old bully come in, just kind of boosted him over and picked his drink up and down it looked at him and said, what are you going to do about that? And he just kind of looked up. He said, nothing, I don't reckon. He said, that's just the way my day's been. He said, I got up this morning, me and my wife got in a big fight and said she left me. I backed my car out of the garage, run over my dog and killed him. Had a wreck on the way to work, totaled my car. The time I got to work, I was so late, my boss man was mad and he fired me. He said, I decided just to walk in here and, and uh, just to end it all, commit suicide, and said, then you drank my poison. So that's, <laughs> that's just the way my day's been. Uh, this being a Monday, this would be an appropriate message for us preachers. I want to preach to you a little bit on how to have a bad day. Now, if anybody knows, we qualified for that. I couldn't do much preaching on good days, but I, I, I tell you, the meanest fellow that you want to pass on the road is a Baptist preacher on Monday. You ever notice that? Uh, I've often passed them and then went home, looked in the mirror, and found out I looked the same way. I just uh, had a real bad day. And uh, if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I know you haven't studied it to any uh, length at all, you know that uh, Solomon's writing about a bad day. He just had a very uh, bad day. And uh, I don't think that it's because that he couldn't get a girlfriend. Uh, I don't reckon it's because that he's poor and the banknotes come due. I don't think it's because of a lack of opportunities that he's having a bad day. He's not stuck up in a holler with no place to go on a rainy day. He's not working a 7 to 3 or 9 to 5 job. That's not the reason why he's, he's having a bad day. As far as I know, Solomon went everywhere he ever wanted to go. Uh, he ate everything that he ever wanted to eat. You read this book and his experiences, you'll find that he did so. He built everything that he ever wanted to build. He did everything he wanted to do. He bought everything he ever wanted to buy. He married everybody he wanted to marry. He saw everything he wanted to see. And when it was all said and done and ended up, Solomon said, I've had a bad day. He uses the phrase, all is vanity, 33 different times. That ought to tell us something that good days is not locked up in all of those things. Let's look at, just to give you a feel of what Solomon is going through. Look in verse number 2, chapter 1. The Bible said, Vanity of vanity, this is Solomon writing now, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity means uh, to be like a vapor or to be empty, to disappear, having no content to it. All, he said, is vanity. Look in verse 14. He said, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Sounds like he's having a bad day. Verse number 17. I gave my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Look in chapter number 2, verse 17 and 18. 
He said, therefore, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexed vexation of spirit. Yea, he said, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. He said, look at where he's come to. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yet better is he than both they, which have not yet been, who have not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Chapter 6 and verse number 12. For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Man, if there ever has been a fellow that's had a bad day, Solomon has had a bad day. Now look in chapter 7, verse 26 through verse 28, and I'm going to let you figure this one out. He said, he said, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. And he ought to know something about that. And her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those I have not found. Man, he's had a bad day. But I want to go into the book of Ecclesiastes for just a few moments, and uh, I want to look at the words and the phrases that are found in this book, and I want to find out how a man who could have so much, do so much, see so much, could have such a, a bad day in the midst of all of that. And I think it's found in these words and in these phrases. Let me point them out to you. The first thing that jumped out to me as I studied this book, I, I noticed the, the personal pronoun I is found 65 times. Notice it. It, it seems as though that Solomon is certainly impressed with himself. He is consumed with number one. Now, I, di I didn't even write down the verses because there's so many of them, but you can just begin to look down. Look in verse 12. I, the preacher, was king. Verse 13. I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom. Verse 14. I have seen all the works. Verse 16. I communed. And he says again, I am come to great estate. Verse 17, I gave my heart. Verse 17 also, I proceed. Chapter 2 and verse 1, I said in my heart. Verse 2, I said of laughter. Verse 3, I sought in my heart. Again he says, I might see. Verse 4, I made. Verse 5, I made. Verse 6, I made. Verse 7, I, I got. And on and on and on and on and through this book, 65 times. In the midst of all of what Solomon possessed and all that he was, he makes reference to himself in a personal way, talking about this little package that is called I. 
probably heard the little poem that said, I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was also I that ate the pie and passed the cup to me. Solomon is in this predicament. Though his world seems to be so vast, he has brought it down to the place to where it is really locked up in that one little old word that says, I. Solomon is always, he said, I did this, I did that, I saw this, I saw that, I figured this, I learned this, I knew this, I went there, I did everything. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to have a bad day, really have a bad day, you let your I be your all. I don't care who you are. It may be that we're preachers here today. I thought about a preacher that I heard here a while back and he was, he was demanding in his preaching that his people serve him and honor him and respect him. And I thought, well, you know, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I come to minister and not to be ministered unto. And if we think that we're going to take this pulpit with the big eye and everybody's going to bow to us, we're going to have some disappointing days. <laughs> the reason why we want that attendance up is for eye. It looks good on eye. And when we can talk about the offering, it always refers back to I. And when we can say the altar was full, it always speaks of I. I had another preacher write me a letter of some, I won't even get into it, but in the, and it was a good letter up until the, to the end that he made reference to himself and he said, I have mounted the pulpit. Over, I forget how many times, during so many periods of a year, and I closed the letter up and I said to my wife, well, what difference does it make how many times he's mounted the pulpit? Who really cares? I hadn't kept count. It's, it's just a reference to us, and if we're not careful, in, even in the ministry, we will indulge ourselves in ourselves. And we want everybody to respect us and to follow us and to do like us. That's where a lot of our preaching is when we stand and preach to our people. We want them to be images of us because we think so much of us. Look like us. Drink, uh, dress like us. Act like us. Talk like us. Go where we go and don't go where we don't go and just be like us. Be like number one, I. But I'm found when I'm so concerned with myself, even when I'm in a so-called spiritual uh, uh, work. I'm a miserable man. Right. Right. I'm not going to throw stones at Solomon because there's so much I in me. <laughs> Another thing that is really pressed upon my heart uh, uh, is, is, you know, when you stand behind this, this sacred desk and you deliver, because I'm talking to preachers and I am a preacher, I, I have come up with this figure just out, out of what's impressed in my heart that 95% of what I am behind the pulpit's worth nothing. And I'm, I'm really concerned if, the, if there could be 5% that's much good. Because isn't it true when we get behind this pulpit, we want to do good and we want to impress. I mean, that's just us. Let's be honest. The amazing thing to me is how God could save anybody and how God could, could do any kind of work with any kind of people using us. Because there's so much I in us. 
If you want to have a bad day, let your eye be your all. That's Solomon. There's another phrase that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found 27 times, and it is the phrase, under the sun. I notice it in verse number 3. He said, What profit hath a man of all of his labor which he taketh under the sun? He makes reference to it in verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And then uh, I notice it in chapter 2 in verse number 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of the Spirit and there was no profit under the sun. And on through, 20, 27 times, he makes reference, chapter 4 and verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of such that were oppressed. Verse 3, Yea, better is he than both they which have not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Now, Solomon's vision of everything that has transpired in his life is limited to the superficial circumstances. And somehow he could not see beyond the events, beyond the situations, beyond the happenings, beyond the elements of this world, beyond the things that were transpiring within his life and the things that he were... He could not see beyond them. They were as far as his vision went. He could not understand while he was going through this that, that there was something beyond the sun that was controlling what was under the sun. <laughs> I thought about uh, in the book of Elisha, sometime you might use it, I've preached it a time or two, the, the horses that are in Elisha's life. There, there are four sets of horses there. Uh, there are the, the, the set of horses when he, he uh, when Elijah said to him, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion. He said, you see me caught up. You can have it. And he cried out and said, oh, Lord, my God, the chariots of Israel and the horses thereof. He saw those horses. But then, you know, he had the other experience where the king of Syria sent all those armies down there and his servant went to the door. And when his servant looked outside the door, he turned around and said, oh, Lord God, look at the horses out there. And the man of God prayed and said, Lord, let this man see above and beyond the horses of this world. And God lifted the scales and he's looking around all the mountaintops and he saw the horses of the Lord that was there. <laughs> uh, there's nothing that will bring you any further down than to look at the, the transpiring events of this life and all of the, of the sad tales and all the things that come and go. But I want to say to you that there's nothing that happens in this world that wasn't orchestrated in another world. And God is putting the pieces of the puzzle together. There's something beyond the sun. Hallelujah. The preacher was preaching about setting our affections on things above. I'm glad that I can know that God's in charge. You know... Uh, uh, I mentioned this in the meeting I was in. Uh, you know, back during the holidays, uh, my wife came up with the brilliant idea that we ought to get a puzzle since all the families together and work a puzzle. 
We've never been a puzzle-working family. We've been a puzzle, but not a work puzzle-working family. So we got one, not a big one, 500 pieces, laid them out there. Looked like a confusing mess to me. And so each one, you know, two or three at a time, and sit down, began to work that thing, began to try to put it together. And you can hear the moanings and groanings of each party. Well, you know, I don't think all the pieces are here. <laughs> Even we, we got the thing about a third way through when we're contemplating, uh, we were going to break it up and put it, put it all back in the box and take it back to Walmart and tell them that it ain't all there. And then there were times when we would try to take a piece and we were so desperate and we'd work so long and force it. I mean, it just looked like it had to go there. Just force it in there. But then when you force that one in there and you got to another place, things wouldn't work out there. Well, ultimately, we finally got the puzzle together and stepped back and looked. And believe it or not, we didn't have to take it. All the pieces were there. It's just that we were so confused in trying to put it together. And so it is when Solomon began to look at the circumstances of his life, he'd try to work this piece in here and it wouldn't go. And he'd try to work this piece in here and it wouldn't go. And then he'd kind of mess up that piece over there. And Solomon says, as far as I'm concerned, these puzzles are no good. I can't figure them out under the sun. And honey, we can't figure it out under the sun. And we can't piece it together. And we can't place it together. But I'm glad there's a God beyond the sun that one of these days will lay it out and it will be perfect and all the pieces will be there. <laughs> we won't have to take it back. It'll be all the way God has it orchestrated. And I want to say to you, if you want to have a bad day, let your eye be your all. But if you want to have a bad day, let this world be your all, and you're going to have a bad day. I notice there's some other phrases that are in here. The words wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are found 33 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Look back in chapter number 1 and verse 12. As, as Solomon makes reference to his, his uh, wisdom and uh, his knowledge. Look at, look at verse 12 and 13. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things. And we know Solomon was noted as the wisest king. Verse number 17, I gave my heart to know wisdom. Uh, look, in, look in chapter number 7, verse number 23 through 25. All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from it, and that which is far off and exceeding deep. Who can find it out? I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of the foolishness and madness. Solomon seeks to become an encyclopedia of information, gotten by a constant and continual pursuit of the unknown. 
He somehow thinks that more brain power means more life, or to know more means to be more. It reminds me of the day and age that we live in. If a man's going to run for office, the first thing he's got to push is education. It's more important today to, to put an emphasis on education than in anything else. As if it is the saver and the savior of society. But with all of our education, after so many years, we have learned some things. But what have we learned? We've learned, first of all, there's no God. We've learned there's no life after death. There's no purpose for living. We are animals. We have no morals. There is no right. And there is no wrong. And we're the most confused society that's ever been upon this earth. Full of uncertainties with all the books on the how-tos. <laughs> we think it's all right to spend millions of dollars to save a whale and then spend billions of dollars to kill babies. Amen. We're a real smart society. This is the day and age that we live in as the emphasis is put upon knowledge. The truth of the matter is Satan is still offering man the same thing that he offered Adam and Eve in the garden. Said, you eat of this truth, this tree, and you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And honey, we do know it. Yeah. We do know it. And so I want to say to you, if you want to have a bad day, try to understand it all, and you're going to have a bad day. Try to figure it out. Reason, as Solomon said, cipher it. It'll blow your mind. You just can't do it. Uh, using the word if, you know. If it would have been this way, or if it had been that way, or if things had... Turned, and, and boy, how confused we are. We just can't understand it. We're just not on that level with God to where he can tell us some things. I know we think we're smart, but, but we just can't understand it. I remember when my oldest boy came of the age he always wanted a knife and he'd become of age where we thought he was old enough to handle a knife and so on his birthday we took him to the store and we're going to let him look through the shelves there and pick out a knife and so he did he picked him out a knife and we thought it was appropriate for him for his age and he was just so thrilled and then i happened to turn and look and my other boy who was much younger he was about four or five years old and he was just licking his chops because he just knew because his older brother was getting a knife, he was going to get a knife. And so he moved up to the counter, and I could tell he wouldn't say anything, but he was picking out his knife. <laughs> and so he finally asked, and I said, Now, Paul, you can't have a knife. And oh, he began to pucker up and broke down and began to cry. And he said, That's just not fair. And I tried my best to explain to him, son, you're too young. If I gave you a knife, you'd cut yourself and, and uh, kill yourself and it'd break my heart. I can't give you a knife. But he never did understand why daddy would let one youngin have a knife and not let him have a knife. And it blew his mind. I couldn't explain it to him, but he, you see, he wasn't the age that he could understand it. And so it is with you and I. We don't understand what God is doing. But if, if you want to have a bad day... Try to understand it all. Figure it all out. Now, sometime uh, 
think that I'm going to preach a sermon on the how-tos of the Bible. And you want me to preach it in your church because it'll only last about two or three seconds. Your people will love it. How-tos of the Bible. I don't know if I can even scratch out a... Uh, I don't even know if I can scratch out one. How-to. Isn't it something how God will tell you to do something but he don't tell you how to do it? You know why? Because that's the work of the Holy Ghost. He ain't going to give you a formula and a plan so you can carry around the little pie. And, you know, I just pass out. I'll, I'll pass up all them books in that. You know, I don't have no how. I don't even, I'm not, you know, how to raise you. Seven steps on how to raise you. Lord, Lord. Ten steps on how to have a successful church. Don't try it. We're too different. The work of the Holy Ghost is too different. As he deals with us, it's, it's all different. He said, he said, love your enemy. How? Would you tell me how? <laughs> he can tell you how. Only the Holy Ghost can work that in you. I ain't no how-to. I don't know if I can find a how-to in the Bible. Somebody said, oh, but I know one, uh, you know, Second Chronicles, where he said, uh, if my people which are called by name shall humble themselves and pray. But wait a minute, how? I may go through the forms and get down on my knees, honey, but that don't mean I'm humble. How do you humble that heart? I can't tell you how, but the Holy Ghost can. See, the good thing about preaching is you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to worry about getting it across to where they can figure it out. You just preach the truth and the Holy Ghost will light it in the soul. <laughs> I never figured this thing out. It was exploded in me. I like that. <laughs> Let the Holy Ghost tell it. He knows how. He can explain it, amen? amen? There's an old fellow back up there in the mountains, another one I met. Boy, I tell you, his wife had had a stroke. Just a little old house that I was going to fall off in the creek and I grab a road up there and, and somebody told me about him and I find somebody's full of God. I like to go around. So I went up there and his wife had had a stroke 18 years before and he'd waited on it. Man, you could feel God bouncing off the wall. <laughs> and uh, he first thing he said to me, he said, Preacher, he's about 80 years old. He said, the and this is the thing that's really more than anything. I said, I've won 37 people to the Lord in my lifetime. And he wasn't bragging. Wasn't no eye in it. He just thrilled he could do it. And the Lord had to bring them up there to save him because he couldn't go nowhere and never drove a car in his life. Amen. But he told me about another old fellow when he was a little bit younger uh, in the area that was, that was lost, a mean man, old man. He said the Lord impressed it on his heart to go witness to him. And he said, Preacher, I started out to walk up there to go witness to him. And he said, to Somebody stop and pick me up. Give me a ride into town. Said the next day, the Lord impressed it on me and said, I started walking down toward it, up the road toward his house. And somebody stopped and said, You want a ride? And said, I rode to town. Said, The Holy Ghost got all over me. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go tomorrow to witness that fellow. And I ain't going to take a ride if it's an airplane that comes by. I'm a goat. He said, I went in and I just sat down and I said to him, now I want to tell you something. He said, 
There's a heaven and there's a hell, and Jesus died to keep you out of hell if you'll accept him. He said that old fellow, old man, looked at him in sincerity and said, How do you know that? Boy, the wheels began to turn in my mind. I started, started thinking about, you know, how I'd be able to apologetics, how I could pull back and give him something that really proved this thing. Yes, sir. And that old fellow said, I looked at him and said, Well, I don't know. They said the Bible says it's so, and I believe the Bible. And the old fella got saved. That's a whole lot of explaining, ain't it? The Bible said so, and the Holy Ghost said yes. In the old man's heart, and he got right with God. It don't take a whole lot of us. Just a little bit. I thought about old Jonah preaching that eight, eight word, wasn't it? Sermon. And the Holy Ghost ignited that place. Just a little bit of us and a whole lot of Holy Ghost. Tear a place upside down. How far along we go, the more I find out I don't know anything anyhow. <laughs> I just got a place where I just don't care about knowing about much. If I could just know Him. And bring a verse or two or something in my heart and plow that. Oh, Holy Ghost could use it and ignite hearts and souls. It ain't in understanding it all. Well, there's some more phrases there. Let me just mention one more. The word labor, labored, work, and works is found 47 times. Chapter 2 and verse number 4, I guess, would be sufficient down through there. Notice how he talks about his works. He said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kind of fruit. I made me pools of water and water with and so on. He said, I got me servants. And verse number eight, he said, I, I gather me also silver. And he said, verse number nine, I was great. And throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about his works that he has done. The labor. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, without me you can't do nothing. Amen. And the scripture said, except the Lord build the house, they that labor therein labor in vain. It's not by might, nor by power, he said, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. All the training and the skills of Egypt, and then even then had the seed of God planted in him through his mama, and he come out there one day and he said, I can. I'm qualified. I'm the man to do it. The Bible said he supposed that the Lord would deliver Israel through him because he figured he had all the training he'd done ready. What a mess he made out of it. The second phase of his life, he had to go back out of the backside of the desert and he moved from I can to I can't. The Lord came to him and said, you want to go down there now? He said, I can't. <laughs> he said, well, I want you to go. He said, I can't. He said, well, Lord, I can't even talk plain. I can't do nothing. And I don't believe he's just being pious. I believe he tried his best to forget everything about the I can days. He made such a mess. Don't you remember those days when you first started pastoring? You said, I can't. You see, you'd sit under your pastor and he'd made those mistakes and you counted them and you saw them and you said, Man, I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> Passing a little while, you started moving away, and you started saying, 
I don't know if I can do this or not. And then finally you woke up one day and you said, well, I can't do nothing. I mean, evangelism now, and somebody said what evangelist is, is a fellow that's flunked in type. I can't. Moses said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And the Lord said, well, now, Moses, let me tell you something. I couldn't use you when you said I can't. I can't use you when you said I can't. But it ain't really, that ain't what's important. So what I want you, what I want you to do is go down there and I am. You just operate not and I can, and I can't. You just operate and I am, and I am will get the job done. And honey, it ain't what you're doing and what you're not doing. It's in the I am and what he's getting accomplished and we get out of the way and he gets it. But isn't it so blessed when you see the Holy Ghost working in somebody's heart and you know that the Spirit of God has done it. You didn't do it, he did. You didn't call him to preach. You didn't push him to do something. What is church anymore? I, anymore, it's just, it's as if we're, I don't know, it's, we're kind of a company or something. And, and, you know, we're appointing everybody and we're trying to get somebody to fill this position, that position, and this position. And, Lord, we're turning, turning our young people over to who knows what because we think we've got to have a youth something of it. <laughs> Old Joe Parson said years ago, I heard him sound tape years ago, he said, one of these days you'll wake up and find out when you touch your youngins and turn them over in, in all these little committees and all these other, other things and find out 10 years later they've been uh, uh, abused and incest and everything else, you'll wake up. I'm going to tell you something. You can't just appoint somebody to do something. The Holy Ghost got to turn in this thing. Amen. Solomon said, I've just about done it all. But he said, Lord, what a mess when I got done. I just kind of wish I hadn't touched nothing. I'd been better off if I'd just sit over in the side. But nowadays, see, if you ain't doing something, people just think ain't much action. I think the best thing to do is just hurry up and do nothing. <laughs> just get out of the way. If you can't get out of your church's way, get out of it. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Somebody said, if I get out of the way, it'll fall apart and die. Let it do it. I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Ghost is working in there. It won't fall apart now. You just watch that thing as it grows. And you'll stand back in amazement and say, Look what God has done. Look what the Lord has done. What I'm trying to say is, if you want to have a bad day, now let's look at it. If you want to have a bad day, let your eye be your all. If you want to have a bad day, let this world be your all. If you want to have a bad day, try to understand it all. And if you want to have a bad day, try to do it all. Because I'm guarantee you, those Baptists that you pastor, they'll let you do it all. Amen. And then when you get burnt out, they'll say, well, you want to know what happened to him? I'll have a bad day. <laughs> I hope you don't have one as a result of this. Let me read this so fast. It said, my, now my wife just left and the well went dry. My horse is sick and about to die. Then my steel blew up and the barn burned down and the road washed out on the way to town. Then my dog got rabies and bit the cat and they both died soon after that. I lost my specs and the pipe stem broke. I can't even sit and read and smoke. 
Then the tree fell on the chicken shed, and most of the hens got smashed plumb dead. Then the chimney fire took half of the wall, and this old shack's about to fall. Then I caught my heel on an old dead vine and sat smack dab on a porcupine. Then a beaver dam broke, and the bridge washed out, and the watch stopped working, and I've got the gout. The bank foreclosed, so I've lost my place, and my car disappeared without a trace. They cut off my credit at the grocery store. I lost my job and a whole lot more. I must have been hexed with a triple curse, all as things just keep getting from bad to worse. Now fate has hit me a last dirty crack to top off the worst, my wife coming back. 